tonight, over the next couple of weeks, we're just going to kind of look at this idea of how do we, we, we give and receive criticism for the glory of God? Uh, how do we give and receive criticism uh, for the glory of uh, God? Uh, so we're going to kind of bounce around in the scriptures, but we're just going to start. I'm going to begin in verse uh, 12 of chapter 2 of Philippians and read 2 through uh, 18. Uh, pray, and then we'll dive in uh, to this topic together. Let's pray. Let me read first. Here we go. Philippians 2:12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salva- own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you. We thank you for uh, the beauty of your word. We thank you for its balm to our grieving hearts, our sin-stricken consciences. And yet, God, we thank you for its sharp rebuke for it exposing the sin in our lives, that we can strive uh, to live in a way that would be honoring to you. God, we do pray that we would be blameless and pure children of light in the midst of this crooked and depraved generation. So, Father, as we think about criticism, I pray, God, that you would help us, that you would teach us, Lord, by your Spirit, to give and to receive criticism to the glory of We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, So many of you remember January uh, 28th, uh, 1986. One of those days in in a generation where you always remember where you are. Uh, That was the day when the Challenger uh, blew up. Uh, The Challenger uh, taking seven lives. Uh, And when an event like that happens, of course, everyone in society is asking the why question. Why did this happen? What went wrong? Uh, well, apparently what went wrong is one of the O-rings that was designed to fit securely had some deficiencies. Um, and after some reporting, the, the New York Times put it frankly, the ultimate cause of the space shuttle disaster was pride. They blamed the, the, the blowing up of the Challenger to the pride of scientists and their inability to heed criticism. Many of the top managers failed to listen to the careful, carefully to the warnings, advice, and criticism of those down the line who were concerned about the operational reliability of certain parts of the booster engine. Just think, heeding that criticism, listening to the, the concerns and the warnings of others could have saved seven human 
lives. And that's just one example that we know of. We know there's probably many more of people who did not hear criticism and disastrous results uh, caused from it. Um, this past uh, week, um, I, I read something that I was kind of surprised by. So as a Southern Baptist, we, one of the organizations that we uh, support in part of our cooperative uh, giving is the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Right? It's a, it helps us kind of be a for, on the foreground of, of political issues and speaking to the culture on even things that are happening in our day in terms of the transgender and the homosexual movement. Um, Donald Trump, the pre- presumptive Republican nominee, uh, said of, of the, the president of the ERLC, Russell Moore, that he is a nasty guy with no heart, a terrible representative of Christianity, of evangelical Christians. Now, when you, when you, when I, when you read that, you're like, wait a second, are we talking about the same person? Because every interview I've seen, every the way I've seen him conduct himself has been a manner of grace and He has spoken the truth, but he's done it in in, in a winsome and powerful way. He's a nasty guy with no heart. Well, Russell Moore uh, was on CNN in response, and they asked him, well, what do you think about, you know, Mr. Trump's uh, accusation that you're a nasty guy with no heart? And he said, he's right. I am a nasty guy with no heart. That's why I need the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I need his, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So you see two people, two scientists didn't hear that the critics, criticism is in the pride. You have a man who's directly attacked in, in front of the entire world, and instead of defending himself, what he does is he agrees with the accusations against him and, and clings to the cross of Christ. This is what we're going to be kind of thinking about over the next several Sunday nights, thinking about this idea of, of, of criticism. Uh, the first thing that we have to realize is that every single person is going to be criticized. I think in many ways, if you're going to be a leader, especially you're going to face criticism, and every single one of us are going to lead in some way uh, or another, whether it's at our families, uh, whether it's at work, uh, whether it's at church. We're all going to maybe be in positions of leadership, and we're going to, when we put ourselves out there, we're going to face criticism. And the reason why we know that is because we know our own hearts. We know how easy it is for us to criticize and, and tear down others when we don't see them doing something that we like. Time and time again, you see in the New Testament, you see these charges by both Peter and, and James and Paul, the three, three of the big dogs in the New Testament, Peter, James, and Paul, all make... Um, Exhortations, do not grumble. Do not dispute. Do not quarrel. Well, one of the uh, earliest places we see a, a vast amount of quarreling in the Bible really comes right down to the people of God in the wilderness in Exodus. Remember what happened in the book of Exodus. We're kind of walking through Genesis, and we're kind of working through the patriarchs. We've hit Abraham, and now we're kind of on Isaac, and next week we'll be really focusing on, on Jacob and then Joseph. So those are the kind of the four main, major players in, in the book of Genesis. And then we're going to kind of end uh, Genesis, and then they're going to kind of go into Egypt. And they're going to be in bondage. The people of God are going to be in bondage to Egypt for 400 years. 
And after 400 years of slavery, what does God do? God hears the, the, the cries of his people, and God comes and delivers them. Not just delivers them in a small way, but he delivers them in a miraculous way. And after each plague, he says, this is that you may know that I am the Lord. Again and again, the power of God on display, uh, confronting the gods of the, the Egyptians. And finally, we see that, that, that the tenth and final plague, when God sends the angel of death and takes the, the firstborn of all the, the house of the Egyptians and, and, and passes over with the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of the Hebrews. And after that great plague, what does Pharaoh do? He says, go. Go. And the Egyptians go, not only um, with the clothes on their backs, but with the gold and the, and, the, and the jewelry of the Egyptians. Well, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And what did God do? Uh, Pharaoh or Pharaoh chased after the Egyptians, and uh, they were right in that mist. They were in the, the Red Sea was before them, and the, the Egyptians were behind them. And what did God do? He, he parted the Red Seas, and they walked across on dry land. And they got to the other side of the dry land. And then when the Egyptians pursued them, the waters fell upon them, destroying a mighty nation in a moment. And you would think that Moses... The one who, who led the people by the hand of God out of Egypt after all these miracles and all this power that he saw that he was going to be praised and he was going to be, be lifted up as one of the, the preeminent leaders, someone we could trust, someone that we could respond to. And what do you see immediately in Moses' life? Criticism. Moses, why did you take us out here? We have nothing to eat. Moses, why did you take us out here? We're thirsty. We have nothing to drink. Time and time again, you see in the wilderness, you see Moses and Aaron leadership challenged. Again and again. If you are going to lead, whether it's, it's at home or work or in the church, you are going to be criticized. We, we know the, the criticism that is in our, our heart. Now the challenge for all of us is that how do we deal with that? How do we deal with criticism? Now I, I do a lot of marriage counseling. Uh, pre-marriage counseling, sometimes, right, John and Jamie? Um, we do post-marriage counseling. Um, and one of the things that I see as a consistent problem in marriages is that couples don't give and or receive criticism well. I know that personally from my own marriage. I've had to learn that uh, often. You know, when, when, you're, when your wife uh, criticizes you, your first response is what? To, to kind of rise up and kind of protect and, and justify your, yourself. Well, one of the things that, that I want to show you in the scriptures is that the, the best way to handle criticism and, and to give criticism, more, more, more receiving it this week, is understanding first its value. Understanding first its value. If you are going to be considered righteous in the Bible, you will handle criticism well. All throughout the book of Proverbs, this is what we see. Proverbs 17.10, a rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. What it's saying is if you are a, a righteous man, if you are a man of understanding, that you will listen to criticism, that you will heed it. Proverbs 12.1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But he who hates reproof is stupid. When was the last time 
in your life, you invited someone to give you a rebuke. You invited someone to give you criticism. What is, what is, what's going on in my life that you see that is, is leading me away from the Lord? What, what, how, how can I grow in Christ? What, what are the deficiencies that you see in me? I, I bet that's probably a question that we don't ask very often. You know why we don't ask it? Because we don't love discipline. We don't want to become more and more like Christ. Because we don't want our, our sin to be exposed. But listen, every time sin is exposed, what does God do? God gives you the opportunity to address it. Out of the, the heart comes all these things. And when God exposes the ugliness of our heart, it's now out of our heart. And we can remove it. We can, we can address it. Uh, the thing about when we grow as a Christian, we should sin less. But we see our sin more. The closer you get with God, it doesn't mean that you're going to sin more. But I think that you are aware of your sin a whole lot more. Because now it's not necessarily external stuff, but it's the internal stuff of your heart. It's the motivations. It's the, it's the things that you, how you respond to situations and maybe not even saying anything. Proverbs 15.10, a fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent, is wise. There is gain in taking criticism. And I think one of the problems in marriages, one of the problems in friendship, one of the problems in the church is that we don't like criticism. And we don't like it because we don't understand its value. And the reason why we don't understand its value is because we think that we have it all together. (laughs) The bottom line is is we're prideful people. And because we're prideful people, we don't want to have anybody see our faults. So thank God for a man like Russell Moore, when someone confronted him, called him a nasty guy with no heart, he agreed with them and said, listen, I need the gospel like anybody else. He didn't bow up and said, no, that's not true based on my life. He says, listen, I need Jesus every single day. In the heart of my heart, I am a nasty guy with no heart, and I need Jesus Christ. If we, if we start there, we will start to see the value more and more of criticism. Turn in your scriptures to uh, Psalm 141. Psalm 141. Before we can, we can address the, the, how we give criticism, first we have to realize everybody, listen, giving, receiving criticism is a blessing. So Psalm 41, this is a psalm of David. I'm going to start in verse 1 for context, and we're going to really kind of camp at verse 5. O Lord, I call upon you, hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart incline to any evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity, and let me not eat of the delicacies. So right here at the beginning of the psalm, what is he doing? He's saying, Lord, do not let me sin. Don't let me sin. Now, that's a prayer that you probably have prayed before. God, do not let me sin. Do not, when I'm entering in this conversation, let me not judge. Let me be gracious. Uh, Lord, let me not walk in a way that's going to be displeasing to you. Lord, guard my eyes that I can, that I make a covenant with you to, to protect how I, how I view others. And then he says this. 
Verse 5. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. Yet my prayer is continually against their evil deeds. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, I don't want to sin against God. I want to honor God with everything in my life. So God, keep me from sinning. And one of the ways that God keeps you from sinning or purifies you is he sends people in your life to rebuke you, to, to sting you with, with, a, with a criticism. You notice what it says? Let a righteous man strike me. He's not necessarily thinking physically here. Strike me with his words. It is a kindness. We all have had those moments in our life, haven't we? When someone has spoken things to us that we did not want to hear. And in the moment, we, we knew they were right, even in that moment, but yet we dismissed it. Because we did not want to hear it. Criticism is a kindness. Criticism is a kindness. Now, criticism is a kindness, constructive from a righteous man, but I'm not talking about complaining, arguing, and just things that you want to say against people because you think that you have the right to. Right? That's not the idea of criticism. It's careful. It's thought out. Right? You, you, we, we always apply before we give criticism. We'll look at this later. Uh, what Jesus says, that we, we take the, the plank out of our own eye before we, we look for the speck of sawdust in our brothers. It doesn't say, do not look for the speck of sawdust. It says, remove the plank first. Self-examine. Look at your own heart before you entreat others. Go, David goes on, let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let me not, let my head not refuse it. Let me receive the criticism that someone gives me in my life. So we have to kind of create a, a heart as a congregation. Give me criticism. Invite criticism in, in your life. You will never grow in, in your profession. You'll never grow in um, your relationships with people unless you get to the level where you're able to critique. Um, one of the, the most, the, the worst class ever in seminary. The worst class, by far, is sermon delivery in, in seminary. Because you know why? You preach, you got to videotape yourself, and you send the video out to everybody in the class, and they all tell you all your mistakes, <laughs> what you did wrong, and then you have to look at yourself, watch yourself preach, and say, this is what I did awful. But man, I tell you what, I learned so much from that class because I was doing things in my preaching that was just unhealthy. And I didn't even realize it until someone critiqued me. So I think my, my, my ability as a pastor grew, and I, my, my care for people grew because of that class. But it was awful. <laughs> it's an awful thing to, to receive criticism. Who likes to do it? But if we understand that it's good, and it's going to grow me, and it's going to make me become like Jesus Christ, that is the goal of our life. The goal and the great joy of our life is that we could become more and more like Jesus that we can have more joy and more peace and more, more holiness and more righteousness. We can, we can grow up to him who is the head. We can do that when, when people surround us and they help us curve, cut off the things of sin in our lives. Well, how do we, how do we ultimately take criticism? Right? The, the, the nuts and bolts, the reason we can, we can take criticism is because of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've said this numerous times, but what the cross does 
is the cross says two things instantaneously. When we look at the cross, the cross says, you are a wretch. You are a deceiver, like our talk this morning. You are a uh, worm. You are evil. You deserve hell. That's what the cross says. Every time we see it, it's, it's, it's condemning us for our sin. Feel encouraged, right? But that's what it says. So when someone comes to us with criticism, I think our first natural response is to defend ourselves. That's not true, we want to say. But what does the cross say? The cross says it, it probably is. Now, we know that all criticism that we get is not all good. So I'm not trying to, trying to, trying to make criticism the, the greatest thing in the entire world. But when, when people come to us, if we are humble enough because of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can admit that we have been crucified. We deserve to be crucified because of our sin. Think about how different your marriage would be. I can't tell you how many conversations that have ended poorly at the beginning of my marriage because I did not apply that principle. I just tried to argue that I wasn't, I did nothing wrong, that your, criti- your, your critiques of me, Ellen, are completely false because that is totally not true. Not a good way for a happy marriage. And yet when I realized that because of the cross of Christ, I don't have to defend myself. I have to empty myself and say, yeah, I'm a sinner. And even those moments when, yes, Ellen, I meant to hurt you with my words. Forgive me. Not the, well, I, I know that I said it, I didn't really mean it. No, I, I probably meant to hurt you there. Because I'm a sinner. Praise God for the cross. So at one moment, what the cross does is it, it condemns us. This is, this is vital in, in relationships. <laughs> Guys, this is so important. Admit your sin. This is exactly what Russell Moore did on a national scale. It's exactly what you and I do in all our relationships. When someone comes to us, you know how much courage it takes to come to someone and, con- and confront them in their sin? Confront them in, in something in their life that could be hurting them? It takes tremendous courage to do that. And I praise God for the people in my life who have done that with me. Because it is not an easy thing. So when, when people have the boldness and the love for us to do it, to bless us, we say, yes, the cross says that we don't have to defend ourselves. So at the one moment it says that you're a condemned sinner. And at the next moment it says you are far more loved than you could ever dare imagine. You are justified by the nails on the cross. You are completely forgiven. Not in whole, but not in part, but the whole has been nailed to the cross. You are blameless, righteous, and holy because of what Christ has done for you. So you don't have to prove yourself to those who are criticizing you or those who are against you because you stand whole in Christ. That's the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel says you are far worse than you could possibly imagine. But you are far more loved than you'd ever dare dream. This is why we love singing a grace It is greater than our sin. Because grace is greater than our sin. That's what Paul says. This saying saying is trustworthy and true. That Jesus Christ died to save sinners. Of which I am the foremost. He said, but I received mercy. So that I would be an example for, for patience. God's patience with me. For those who are going to receive eternal life. So, 
how we handle criticism, whether we, 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 we look at it in view of the cross, will indicate in that moment if we're trusting in Christ and in Christ alone. Or if we're trusting in something that we can control, something in our lives that we want to bring before God, that can't be true about me. We can't have that reaction. What we have to do is we have to realize that I deserve critique. And I want critique. Not only that I deserve it, but I want it. Why? Because I want to become like Christ. I want to receive criticism for the glory of God. And I think if we start there as a congregation, hey, I want to receive criticism. Well, then we can kind of get to the next part and how to, how to effectively give it. And I think if we do that well, if we invite people to come into our lives closely and examine us because we really want to become like Christ, oh, man, what would God do in our congregation? What would God do not only in our congregation but in our homes? Have you ever asked that to your children, parents? What, what is, how is daddy, in what ways would you want daddy to love you better? Don't ask it if you don't want to get hurt. Because our kids know. Daddy, I, I, I want you to, to hang out with me more and, and spend less time looking at your computer. But I need to hear that. You know, Daddy, I want to spend more time with you. Go out to, to eat, just you and me. I want to spend more time reading the Bible. Can you read us more stories? It's not pleasant to hear, but man, what happens if we heed that rebuke? How different would our marriages and our homes and our church be? So let us be a people who don't have to defend ourselves, but trust fully in the condemning and justifying work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as a congregation that we would receive criticism well, and we would do so for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.